Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Barton Green. Uh, he is an author and has penned as a ghostwriter uh, many biographies. He's also written for political and religious leaders. Um, he has a lot of great stories, and he's currently writing the Francis Preston biography. Francis Preston, who passed away a few years ago, is a legend in the music industry and a huge, she was a huge supporter of songwriters and an advocate for rights of songwriters and musicians and artists. And uh, what a story. She, she was considered, I think actually she's in the Guinness Book of World Records, I might be wrong about that, as being at the time in her heyday, uh, one of the most photographed women in the world which sounds terrifying to me, but uh, I'm sure she owned every second of that. Beautiful woman, bright as all get out. And uh, yeah, just a, a force for sure. Um, the usual stuff, heyhumanpodcast.com, heyhumanpodcast on Insta and Facebook and Twitter. And you can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. And... Uh, if you can, go to iTunes and subscribe. It's free. Rate and review it. Super helpful. I'd really appreciate that. Especially if you subscribe. That's really a great thing. Um, obviously. And there's something else I was going to say about all that. Oh, uh, if you have a Google phone, you can download the Podbean app for Google. And you can listen to Hey Human on that app. It's on there. It's also on Stitcher. And Blurby, which is B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, strange spelling, but, you know, what are you going to do? And again, as I said before, heyhumanpodcast.com, lots of links on there about stuff that we talk about on the episodes. So, yes, that is all the housekeepy stuff, office stuff, and a lot of really cool uh, people coming up. A lot of cool people have been. I finally got around to posting all the show posters on the heyhumanpodcast.com. Um, a lot of you have asked me, what do these people look like that you're talking to? So go to heyhumanpodcast.com and click on the poster um, uh, part on the menu there, and you'll see a bunch of pictures of all the people, except for, of course, there's a few anonymous folks, and then they just have you know a random picture. But you'll, you'll get the, the gist of almost everyone. All right. Well, that's all I've got to say about that. And without further ado, let's go. Hi, Bart Green. Hi, Susan. <laughs> Welcome to Hey Human. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, Human. How are you? I am doing well. It's a be- beautiful, um, kind of rainy day. Looks and, like Seattle uh, out there yeah. here in Nashville. It does. It does. It looks like Seattle. Yeah. But then Nashville looks like um, every place. It, can, it has moments. It, has. it even snows here and there. Yeah. Not this week. <laughs> so uh, welcome. Yeah. Bart Thank Green, you. you are a uh, you're an, uh, an accomplished author. Uh you've written screenplays. Um I I don't even know the the breadth of your accomplishments, but I'm I know they're far reaching. <laughs> it seems like every time we have a conversation, you say, "Well, I did that when I was da, da, da. so you're a man of many uh tasks and talent, it sounds yeah. like." As a matter of fact, we're sitting at your kitchen table. And the first time I actually really met you 
was at your kitchen table. Do <laughs> you want me to tell that story? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't want me to tell that story? Well, I mean, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah, my, yeah. My, my then uh, person, he had purchased... Uh, uh, <laughs> he had purchased... Um, some books in the bookstore that were, it was basically gay porn, right? The gay well, love. I wasn't actually going to go to that book. <laughs> oh, well, okay, whatever. Anyway. Well, you opened you, you open that door. Okay. He, so when we met, that's that was the thing. Yeah, we were reading from the book because yeah. we found it so titillating and hilarious. Because, you know, we were, what, 20 and thinking that was the funniest thing that was ever. Well, I was, see, actually, you, you were going further than I was going to go. But, oh, well, but, I do that sometimes. <laughs> actually, I was invited to your house. And at the time, I didn't know who you were, and you were having this dinner party. Yes, I and love had, dinner parties. Yeah, and it was 20, 25 people, something like that, from that every... That yeah, it was. It was from people from every walk of life you can imagine. Yeah, I love and I, that. And I was just fascinated by this eclectic group of people, and I had no, no idea whose house I was in. <laughs> or, That's the best kind of party, right? I know. <laughs> Dinner and, party. And so uh, uh, they pushed all the tables together, and we had this big feast, and everybody was laughing. And, and then t- someone was murdered, and we had to figure out who had done it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And uh, somewhere along the way, maybe like an hour and a half, two hours into this little thing, you were sitting almost directly across from me, and you looked around the corner of this, of this pot that was sitting in between us, and you said... So, uh, who the hell are you? <laughs> did I really say yes, that? Yes, you did. Such moxie. I, and I'm like, uh, and, and you are who? Did I say it in a uh, oh, Mae yeah. West accent? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, kind of like that. And we, we got to talking, and we ended up, I, I, I instantly thought you were amazing. Oh, thanks. And, and then you said, okay, everybody into the next room. I'll be back in a minute. And you go back into the, your bedroom and you put on a little uh, schoolgirl outfit. I put on a schoolgirl outfit? You put on a schoolgirl outfit. No, I did Yes, not. you did. Really? A little uh, Catholic schoolgirl <laughs> plaid kind of thing. And you and you put your hair in uh, pigtails and came out and sat Indian style <laughs> in the middle that? of the floor. I do not remember this <laughs> at all. You sat down in, in, in the middle of the floor. And, um, so dramatic. Also, yes, so, very much so. And you had this dog-eared... Book... Uh, paperback book that was probably from the 1960s or something, really faded and dog-eared. Yeah, it's definitely from the 60s. And you just opened it up and you started to do a little dramatic read. And and I will not say what the words were. Well, it was gay porn. It was basically gay yeah, porn. It was gay porn storytelling. <laughs> yeah, and so it was oh like. My and, and so, I want to be young again. <laughs> so at one point, you kind of you kind of look over at me and say. So you're the writer. What do you think of it? And I said, I think it's written very well. Yeah, it probably was, or else I wouldn't have read it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have taste. And, and that is how we... Oh, that's hilarious. The very first night we I met. I actually put a costume on for it? Yes, you did. That's astounding. Yes, you did. And I wish we had taken... Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I, have a vague, I have a vague recollection of reading from the book. Yeah. Um, didn't didn't did we pass it around and everyone get to read? I think everybody. Yeah, I, I think, think I everybody read a, a their, their a favorite their favorite passage or something. Yeah. Well, well. Ch- they read a chapter. I do remember that. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, cheers. Nice that, to know you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what better way to get to meet somebody? Mm. I mean, it was amazing. I was just in town. Uh, I was working with May Boren Axton. Remember her? No. Okay, May. Was the woman who wrote Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, okay. Cool. 
She lived up in... Uh, the song. The actual song, yeah. yeah. She lived up in Hendersonville. Oh, wow. And she lived in a little house... It's from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Her. And she lived up in this little house that was like a little miniature replica of Graceland, right down to the front gates, Elvis gates. Yeah. I mean, it was weird. I thought, That's weird. Yeah, it, it really was weird. I think there's, it's still there. She is the mother of Hoyt Axton, uh-huh. who wrote... Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Oh, yeah. Okay. I used to mercilessly sing that at my brother Jeremy, and he would beat me <laughs> senseless. No, he didn't really beat me, but he would. He got me real mad. Um, um, I'm sure that uh, Hoyt loved the residuals. I'm sure. But um, Probably owe him a check. <laughs> uh, everyone wanted to do a, a book about May, because she, she was the one who literally discovered Elvis and, and actually uh, connected him and introduced him to Colonel Parker. Really? Yes. That's and uh, and uh, Willie Nelson lived with her for a while. As a she, paramour or as a... No, no. I, I, she, she just ran like a uh, country music B&B kind, oh, of, cool. kind of thing back in the day. Yeah, like so, Yeah, so everybody who was anybody later that would be somebody ended up going through May in some fashion. That's so cool. She would make one phone call and uh, she would call up one guy and say, Now, don't listen to him talk. Listen to him sing. And it was Mel Tillis. Because uh, he stuttered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she uh, kind of uh, got Dolly off the ground in some fashion. And, and, um, and there's about 10 of them. And the la- her last one was, was Reba McIntyre. Never heard of her. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Reba came to see her when she was uh, uh, in high school, sang for May. And May said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You let her go finish school. Uh, graduate and go through all the teenage things, and when she graduates, if she still wants to do something, that then can bring her back to see me. Because what a voice! Exactly. Yeah. And so that's exactly what happened. She Goodness. graduated, and uh, and they made a couple phone calls, and here we go. Wow, that's astounding. So she was also um, one of the first um, stringers for Time Magazine back in the day. What is a stringer? Um, uh, a writer that oh. was, uh, like, if, if, if Time Magazine needed a story out of Nashville or Chicago, wherever you might be, and uh, they, you were on their roster, they would call you, oh. hey, go to Chicago and do the story. I see. So, um, so she was actually doing that kind of thing, too. And so she wrote the very first article, the center spread article in Life Magazine mm-hmm. on country music mm-hmm. called Hillbilly Music. Mm. Her editor said to her, I need you to go down and talk to these hillbillies. She goes, what's a hillbilly? Well, uh, someone who sings through their nose. <laughs> that was the, their okay. definition. So she goes down to the Louisiana Hayride. And she writes the first article. And she ends up becoming the reporter to the to uh, those uh-huh. guys. She became enamored with those people, and they fell in love with her. She became part of each other. She's got a great name for being in the South, too, May. May Born Axton. And her... Uh, her I'm not sure if it was her brother or her uncle ended up becoming governor of Arkansas, Axton, uh, born. And um, so one thing led to another, and uh, she found this young man, Elvis Presley, and she called him Forbidden Fruit. That's the way she put it. She was 82 years old and kind of smiling, going, Forbidden Fruit. And... um, she was 82 and she met him? No. She she said recalling back. Recalling back to the day. Correct. And uh, she said he, he, uh, he just wanted to go back home and see his mom, and he never had any money. So he used to complain about not having any money. So we decided to write a song. So, and so she and, and her collaborators wrote a song called 
um, Heartbreak Hotel wow. and then gave Elvis a third of the writing credits so he could have some cash. Wow. And that's how that started. Amazing. So I got called in. This is right about the time I met you. I got called in because they wanted to do a book on her. Even though she had a lot of celebrities and a lot of people that were willing to talk about May, a lot of people outside of this town didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. They knew Hoyt, but they didn't know May. Mm-hmm. So someone said, uh, they were going to do, uh, I'm sorry, they wanted to do a documentary about her. But since they couldn't do that, they go, why don't you do a book first? So Jack Klugman, of the, <laughs> yeah. of, of the Odd Couple. Love Jack Klugman. His, he's, he's passed. I think he passed, yeah. yeah. His stepson, out of the blue, calls me and says, well, I understand you can put together the basics for a, a book proposal. I said, yeah, so I want you to meet someone. So I went to see May. Little did I realize that I was being auditioned. <laughs> I walked into this house that looked like a little miniature version of of, um, of Graceland, and I saw all these gold and platinum records on the wall, and all these pictures out of Life magazine. You had to you had to literally kick history out of the way just to walk. Wow! She, she was an amazing woman, and we sat on the couch. And she, the first thing she said was, "Okay, you've read a little bit about my life," and I said, "Yes." I'm uh, just reading the outline of your career is, has exhausted me because <laughs> she really did live an amazing life. She goes, how would you play uh, the, the, the story between me and Elvis? I said, May, uh, it's a good chapter, maybe a good two chapters out of your life, but it's not your life because you've done all of these t- wonderful things and, and Elvis was in there somewhere in the middle and she kind of clapped her hands together and she po- she looked at the at uh, Klugman's son and goes, I want him. Ah, because everybody else wanted to concentrate only on Elvis. Everyone wanted to want to make it about her and Elvis, her and Elvis, her and Elvis. And so somehow, some way, I passed the test. Well, great. And so I started to work with her. Yeah. And that's when I started hanging out around Nashville, and that's how I ended up at your table. Oh, what a strange world we live in. Yes, it is. <laughs> what is that book called? Uh, it never was written because she she actually passed away in in her jacuzzi. Oh my God, that's yeah. terrible. Uh, but uh, there was someone there. Uh, it was really amazing. She called me. I, I I don't know if I was the last person to talk to her or one of the last, because she called me and said, um, uh, "Hey, um, I, I, I'm I'm getting ready to go to a, a concert with uh, Reba sending me someone to pick me up." And I just want to let you know, we want to switch our time together to sometime next week. I went, that'd be fine, May. I said, where are you? She goes, I'm getting ready. I'm in the jacuzzi. And she died. And later on, I found out later, later on that night, that's where they found her. Holy moly. Yeah, she was she was 82, 83 years old. I don't old. think you're supposed to get in jacuzzis at that age. I don't think so either, but she was really excited because Reba was coming, the guys were picking her Aww. up. But Aww. she but she, she was an amazingly wonderful... Have you thought about going back and writing the story now? Yes. Um, uh, I, there's a number of little side stories. I... I've been blessed with the, uh, the ability to come be a part of people's lives at just a wonderful moment where I hear all the good stuff and all the bad stuff, and I toss all the bad stuff away because the good stuff is so good. Yeah. And I don't like to. I do not like to dwell on the bad. Only. Wait. What do you mean? What is that? You mean the salacious? Well, yes. Yeah, on occasion, you do run into that salacious 
uh, factor. Yeah. But but some people just trip and fall. But yeah. but it's, but it's not the tripping and falling. Hang out with me for a week. That is so true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the tripping and falling that's really the story. It's mm-hmm. how you get up on your feet and Absolutely. keep going. I think that's true. And and that's what I did with Evander Holyfield. That's how I got into doing his biography. Oh, nice um, segue. Let's hear it. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> I should do this for a living. Um, uh, uh, they were going to. They were in the process of doing his biography. And uh, I was up in Cincinnati, Ohio. I, I was actually uh, nursing a few wounds of my own. I had just gone through a divorce. And I was visiting my grandmother. And I was actually um, just sitting on the couch doing nothing. And I had just gone to the dentist. And the dentist had given me some really good drugs. So, <laughs> so um, I was watching my, my, uh, my grandmother's television. And it, for, for a moment there, I thought I was watching two shows at once. It was the old TBN. Remember the TBN network with Jan Crouch with the blue hair? Uh, anyway. I don't know who that Anyway, is. that's okay. So the, some people in the audience would get this. Uh, but she was actually interviewing Evander Holyfield. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is really good. I'm watching two shows at once. But, but what I heard Evander say was not profound. It was just, in a way, it had an eloquence to it. And so, I, so for some reason, I started writing it down on the back of an envelope. It turned out to be a back of a magazine or something. And then it occurred to me, why am I doing this? I'll never get to Evander Holyfield. I'm just a guy up in Ohio. I've written a few things, but how am I going to get to the heavyweight champ of the world? So I threw it down. Then another guy comes on the screen that I actually do know. <laughs> and, and I went, I used to mow his lawn when I was a kid. It's just that simple. And so I called him up two days later and said, hey, I've got a great idea. Who was that guy? His name was Steve Brock. He was a singer, and he was always on that TBN network kind of thing. Okay, before we go on, blue hair? She had blue hair? Or she was old, and you're referring to, like, blue-haired lady here. She was not that old, but yet her hair was... Silver blue. blue. I, I, silver blue. Okay, so yeah. maybe she was a redhead at some point. Redheads go I mean, white. I, when I actually did meet her in person, I actually thought to myself, oh my God, her hair really is that color. Huh. All right, it, moving on. I know I, that's okay. not important. I just did pop it, my ear. <laughs> it was just the, maybe the tent on the, on the, on the TV screen. So anyway, so Steve, I talked about Steve Brock, and I said, I've got this idea for a Holyfield book. And he goes, you would be perfect for this. Uh, would you like an introduction? I went, Okay. <laughs> So within two weeks of sitting there feeling sorry for myself that I had nothing, I was sitting across the table from Evander Holyfield. Mm-hmm. That's and, good manifestation, my friend. And I said to him, I will never be heavyweight champ of the world. Look, Susan, look at me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm five, Maybe seven. Maybe featherweight. <laughs> Give up now. Get in the ring. Five, seven, a little Irish guy that, uh, no, no, I, I was not going to be heavyweight champ. But I said, and I said, most people who would be reading your book would be in my category. 99.9% of the people who would be reading your book will never be able to relate to you, heavyweight champ of the world. But you've been heavyweight champ not once, not twice, but three times at that period. He went on to win five times. Mm-hmm. But I said, for you to win three times, you had to lose twice. And I can relate to losing, and so can most people. So what did you do outside of the ring that made you get back in the ring? After you lost twice, he goes, "You got the job." Oh, nice! And so, discovering 
what people do outside of their vocation that made them succeed in their vocation. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what my shtick. All right, I'm going to turn that on you then. Okay. So how about for you? Where did you fall and then stand back up and say, I'm going to be a writer? In a way, it was kind of um, uh, in the stars. My my father, my both of my grandfathers, both of my great grandfathers were all ministers, mm. uh, and so and the only two people who didn't go that direction was my brother and I. Uh, what we did is I, I took uh, we took what a writer uh, what a minister does when we split it in half. I became a writer. He became an actor. Mm. You put them together, you got a preacher. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, watching my dad and my grandfather write their sermons and then get up and, quote, perform them, but with great eloquence and great inspiration, that's, I was never going to get up on the stage and do that. My brother took that part of it and ran with it. He's been a Broadway star for years. He's starred as Huckleberry Finn in Big River. He won a, a Tony nomination for a thing called Star Mites. He has been on every um, soap opera you can imagine. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the way you tell us apart is he's the handsome one, I'm the smart one. <laughs> What's his name? His name is Brian Lane Green. Uh, and the, the way it all evens out is he's going to get uglier, I just get smarter. There you go. Cheers so. to that. I'm yeah. with you. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> How's your pineapple juice? Pineapple juice is good. Coffee's really good, too. So, um, in the long way around... Uh, writing was kind of in me. Uh, I had my first published story when I was 10. And I just kept writing. And the, the, uh, the, the, what really got me going was the fact that nobody gave me any, any encouragement. You know how when you're a kid and you come out and you draw a picture for your parents and go, oh, look at this. And they go, oh, that's wonderful. And they stick it on the refrigerator. Well, I would come out and read my little stories. Once upon a time, blah, 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 blah. And my dad would just kind of pat me on the head or pat me on the rear and go, really good, Bart, okay. And then just kind of... Should have put on the schoolgirl outfit. That's right. It's all about delivery. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would have led me a different direction. Anyway, um, so I I did that a few times and and got nothing from my mother, nothing from my father. Um, no, No real encouragement. Just, oh, that's good, and a little pat on the butt, right? And so I went back to my room and said, okay, I'll show you. And I sat down and rewrote it. And I came back out and tried it again. Same response. Mm-hmm. I went back and rewrote it. So the fact that they gave me no encouragement helped me become the best writer I could be. Mm, that's awesome. Isn't that weird? It's wonderful. And so uh, I dropped out of high school when I was a junior, never finished high school, never went to college. Went on the road and played drums for different bands, among them Chuck Berry. Who just passed away? Yes. God bless him. He was yeah. a he was a sweet guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I I did a lot of recording, and uh, so I I was playing keyboards and percussion just to make a living at the beginning, and I was writing on the side, and then eventually the writing kind of overtook the musician um, role, and I began making more money being published than sure. being performed. Um, I wonder who's going to write the story of your life. Sounds like it's very interesting. No, I'll let you do that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then I've, I've uh, the journey has been amazing. I, 
I've written, because of my background and being uh, sons of ministers, uh, my first writing jobs were for ministers. And I ended up becoming a ghostwriter for some of the most famous ministers of the last 25, 30 years. Are you about to say who? Oh, oh, yes, but, but, but first I, I will tell you that uh, the old joke is that I've written for every major minister that's ever been indicted. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Not while I was with them, of course. But uh, Little Jim Baker. Yep, little... that's right. I, oh, wow. I, I, I went, that was a good guess. At 24, I was the senior editor of publications at PTL. Passed the loot. Passed PTO, passed the loot. Um, no, just and, kidding. It's praise the Lord. I no, but there, there's there's other variations of that which we probably can't say. Um, I'm serious. Yeah. But there, uh, I I got a great education there. I mean, it was like my college days. It was, in fact, it was better than college. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot there. Mm-hmm. Probably not what you're supposed to learn. So you were writing all of Jim Baker's sermons. No, I was oh. not. No, 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 no. I did not do that. Um, uh, Heritage USA was a was a major, it was like a Disney World for Christians, for a lack of a better word. Oh, okay. And it had a, a beautiful park and rides and everything, but it was also, it had the potential of being an incredible place to generate inspirational things. A Christian, a Disneyland for Christians, is it just Snow White everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they make and, Pluto put on pants. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but... It really was that kind of thing, and uh, where I worked was in a in a pyramid building, the Great Pyramid. It was actually to the dimensions huh. of the Great Pyramid, and uh, I ran a department of. I had eighty people in my department. Oh, and oh, is that uh, noise? Was that, I, was that, I guess that was me. I should. Oh, is that your phone? Uh, sorry about that. Oh my goodness! Uh, Don't worry about that it. was that was my pool board. Okay, so. Um, yeah, I would work uh, there and on the grounds, and I would interview everybody from Colonel Sanders, Pat Boone, Whoa. Roy Rogers. So cool. I mean, I got to meet a lot of those old guys way What's back Colonel when. Sanders like? He was a, he was a, he liked the women's. <laughs> they are finger licking good. <laughs> That's what they told me. And, oh my uh, goodness! Yeah, he he was, he was he was right there at the end of his days. He was probably I think he died around ninety. Two or something. So he must have been around 80, 89, right in, right there. Um, and uh, and he, all the girls, he he got and he kind of uh, had the girls sit on his lap. Oh Lord! And, <laughs> and we we all got a big kick out of that. Um, I'm sure he did too. But um, uh, you know, all of those people of that day, I got to meet them all. So it 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 taught me that people are just people. Yeah. And whether you have a famous name or face. It doesn't make you any better than than me and you. It's just they have a story, and uh, and I, if I can get to them close enough and learn them, something about them, I can help tell their story. And after a while, that begins to be part of my thing. And so I knew how to tell a good story. I mean, I've been I'd had a lot of practice in my my bedroom being completely ignored. <laughs> Wow, well, I'm sorry. I went somewhere totally different with that. <laughs> you mean as a child? As a child. <laughs> Got it. My my apologies. All right. Well, uh, get the one with the schoolgirl outfit. So, <laughs> so, oh, so eventually, I got to do the Holyfield book and a few things like that. And I went on to work on 
stage productions and a few movies. And, uh, uh, and it was, it was gratifying, but it was very, um, unsatisfying too, because a lot of those people in that world, and I don't mind saying it now, but they say that they would write the books. They would get up and hold up to the camera and say, I worked hard on this when they didn't write one word. Oh, yeah. They don't, do they even say ghostwritten or anything? Some of them have Mm -hmm. uh, the the presence to actually say that. Some don't do it at all. It's like songwriting. (laughs) They what? Sometimes artists in the songwriting world are like that as well. Yeah, and so um, uh, there are a number of books out there that have someone else's name on it where I wrote... Two thirds to four fifths. How do you feel about that? Does that is it weird or do you, as long as you get the check, do you care? I mean, in my younger it? days, the money mattered more than that because I had a wellspring of knowledge. It's kind of weird when you're younger, you think you know everything. When you're a little older, you you realize what you didn't know. Yes, that's but true, the, true. but but they were taking credit for the stuff you didn't know that now you know better. Yeah, does that make sense? Sure. And so um, the books and mm-hmm. plays and screenplays that I write now are actually rather intelligent, and they're and they get a little deeper. I'm not religious. I've written for preachers. I've even written for the Pope. Wow! Which one? The last guy. Yeah. <laughs> the German Pope Francis. Mm, okay. I just did that last year. Mm-hmm. That's a long story, but and uh, but I've written for religious leaders all over the world, but I never tend to be religious. I just talk about the spiritual part of our life, which which we do have. And I try to kind of shed a little light on it and kind of remind people that we are not only physical and mental, but we are spiritual. Mm-hmm. And it comes down, my philosophy actually comes down to this. I think we were all created to be boundless. But... We'll never appreciate how boundless we are created to be until we first experience being bound. That's very well put. And that's what this world is. It's a world of limitations and time and, and uh, rules we have to go by. It's like a football game. You have, we have uh, imaginary lines, mm-hmm. we have a time constraint, and we have to go under certain rules to accomplish the game. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you, from, with your own t- talents and abilities, to figure out how to get through all of the uh, confusion to score, score the points. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what life is. Mm-hmm. And whether those lines are real or imagined... We have to figure out how to get to them. Sure. And that's mostly what my books are about, what my stories are about. is about real people in extraordinary circumstances discovering what they are truly capable of doing. Hmm. And that's what I've tried to do with everything, including the, uh, the book that I am now diving into headfirst, which is the Francis Preston biography. Yes. Uh, Francis for, Preston, who yeah. is... Certainly, Nashville's most famous kid. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but she's also world. She's the most photographed woman in the world. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure what year it was, but somewhere in the Guinness Book of World Records, you can look it up. One for a year or two there, she was actually labeled as one of the world's most photographed women. 
Amazing. And well, I can understand it because at the at the Country Music Hall of Fame right now, I've been going through a bunch of old um, uh, scrapbooks. The scrapbooks are probably about four to five inches thick, jam packed full of pictures and notes and cards and stuff. Of Francis. And, of Francis, and there's probably and I'm I, I haven't even finished. I counted 70, <laughs> yeah. seven, 70 of them. Well, tell the fine folks who Frances Preston was. Frances Preston was an amazing woman who just was an average person from, from Nashville. Um, she was just a, a kid who just wanted to lay out in the sun and, and catch a few rays and, with her girlfriends and talk about boys and uh, listen to music. Until one uh, summer afternoon while they're outside uh, catching some rays, her father stood over her, blocking the sun, and said, I'm not going to give you any money this year. You're going to do what we, we talked about. You're going to get up and get a job. How old was she at this point? <clears throat> it was between her sophomore and junior year at a teaching school, and she was uh, the summer of her 22nd year. Okay. She was not quite 20. Was she of means? Was her father wealthy? Uh, well, they were well-to-do. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't like she lived you know, uh, in a shack somewhere. And are they from Tennessee? Actually, uh, their house was in Inglewood okay. at the time of this, which right. is not too far from here. So, uh, basically a Nashville kid. Nashville kid, exactly. Yeah. And so she grew up right around here. And, she, and her father was of some influence, and, uh, and one thing led to another. And um, they knew everybody in town, but she decided to try this on her own. So she gets up and gets dressed, and this is back in the early 50s, and goes to try to get a job. And now back in the day, back in that day, women didn't have a lot of choices. Secretary. Secretary. Teacher. Have, have you, did, did you read the stuff? No, I'm okay. just yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, secretary. Teacher, cashier, telephone operator. Sure. Bank teller, probably. Bank teller. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's basically, yeah, yeah that, that kind of thing. And, and if you decided to learn typing, she thought, and, and rightfully so, that if, you, if a woman learned how to type, that's where they were going to be for the rest of their life, stuck behind a typewriter working for someone else. She didn't want to do that, so she never learned to type. <laughs> when she was 80 years old, 78 years old, I should say, her grandkids bought her her first laptop. This is after she has retired from from um, her gr- grand executive position. And she asked me to help set it up for her. So I set up the thing and plugged it in and got it all hooked up to the internet and said, okay, Francis, all you have to do is hit this icon and then type in your password. And she goes, okay, what should that password be? I said, how about Francis? She goes, okay. I said, okay, just type in Francis. And she looked and studied the keyboard for a second and then went... Uh, Where's the F? Oh my goodness! Isn't that a, it's so staggering to me. And I'm like, you ran broadcast music billion dollar corporation, in international yeah. BMI for nearly forty years. But she was not her own secretary. She, it, <laughs> no, a no, no, no. She <laughs> not didn't. Not anything wrong with being a secretary, but she. I love that she stuck to that. She stuck to that right down there to the end. I mean, she. No, she had no clue where the F was. Um, I guess she did. <laughs> she knew exactly where the F was. Well, yeah. that should, that she, is, she is a very that strong woman. should be a chapter title. That Thank should you. be. You're welcome. Thank you. I, I, I will credit you with that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So she uh, got a job. Her, that first day, she got a job. 
but it wasn't what she wanted. She went to the telephone company, and she didn't fit in there. She went to a few other places, didn't fit in. And then she went to the National Life Insurance Building, mm. where it's a building um, that housed um, um, WSM Radio, mm-hmm. which was, in its day, it was like Rockefeller Center in New York. It was right before TV hit, and radio was in its prime, mm. and everybody who was anybody came through Nashville. They would they would do their show. Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, uh, you name it, the people of that caliber would do their shows live from there, and also the Grand Ole Opry. Mm. And one of the reasons the Grand Ole Opry got its way to WSM was, love these full circle stories, May Bourne Axton. Ah. May wrote about them in Life magazine. And and the first time anybody ever heard of country music, huh. and she is the one who put country music on the map. So they took the Louisiana Hayride, and brought it to Nashville, and took it upstairs to WSM Radio, and that's its first home. Hmm. Which would later become the Grand Ole Opry. Which yes, that that actually did become the Grand Ole Opry, and then eventually it went to the Ryman. Right. Um, but they kept up that live radio broadcast feel all the way through. But uh, uh, Frances at first was a um, just a, a mail girl. Mm-hmm. You know, you put little uh, yeah, a, a gr- yeah. yeah, a little grocery cart type thing, and she would have all the mail in there. She'd go to all the floors and mm-hmm. give everybody the mail. And, uh, and she was a handsome young girl, right? She was she tan and blonde and well, yeah, she was tall. Uh, she she was like a, a, a Marilyn Monroe, yeah, movie star. Style. Yeah, she had uh, platinum blonde hair, uh, curvaceous, um, uh, and very personable. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, and wit smart, of course. Yes, yeah, so she she had a great wit. Yeah, but she did not think of herself to be anything special, though. I only met her one time, and that was at, at the very last bit of her life over at the at the house at the mm-hmm. at the manor, <laughs> and uh, and she was great. And I I shook her hand and said, "Lovely to meet you," and you know, I felt like, man, I wish I had known you twenty years ago. I bet she and I would have hit it off really well. Well, you know, uh, I I've been living there at in yeah. the guest house for a while. Yeah. And if I had known that I I know. I would have invited you over okay. a lot. We, we, we did we did a lot of things there that Frances I've swam in her pool a billion times. I just only had the one opportunity to, to meet her. Not a billion times, but you know. Yeah, a lot of people came over to swim in the pool. Mm-hmm. And some of them actually wore clothes. <laughs> uh most of the time, I did. There was one. There was one. One time that there was there there was a skinny dipping night. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, that was I, a good time. We could bring up so many names. So many right stories, now. but Francis wasn't there. This is yeah, no, no. The Francis was not there, but no. she was aware. Yeah, she'd always tell me, "Honey, you can have all the parties you want. Just clean up." Yeah, it's a beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful house. Beautiful house, and it's really. It was really sad to see it go. Yeah. Um, so I, I worked with Fran. Okay, we haven't got that far. Yeah, no <laughs> let's back up. Um, so she she gets this job at WSM as a mail girl, and she and it's just a summer job just to make some money. And she 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 gets there late. She leaves early. She 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 puts her little cart behind the furnace, and and goes home to catch some rays. She doesn't care. She just wants to get this job over with, the little summer job. But somewhere along the He's way, her father. 
Yeah. Somewhere along the way, the, the, the work ethic kicks in because on the top floor was WSM. That changed everything. She would make more trips to WSM radio than she would anywhere else. There, that's where the action was. It was a three-ring circus of every creative mind you can imagine of the day. I mean, she would run into Frank Sinatra and and then run into Hank Williams. She would sit and listen to Earl and Scruggs tune up. At 22 years old, she yeah. was, her mind was being blown, I'm sure. And, and and so when the receptionist discovered that she was pregnant... And wait, wait, who was pregnant? The receptionist at the front desk... Was pregnant. <clears throat> and they made it sound like Francis was pregnant. <laughs> Okay, the me, receptionist was pregnant. Francis found out. Yeah, Got she it. was coming up there every day, and and the and the receptionist would be right at the front. She could look up from her desk, and there's there's elevators here. When the elevator doors were open, the first thing they would see is the receptionist, and she would be like a traffic cop. You turn, and um, that's a coveted job, I'm sure. And so when Francis saw that the young woman was pregnant, back in the day, if you were pregnant, you couldn't keep your job. You couldn't go off on leave and come back. So if you got pregnant on on the job, your job would be over soon and that would be it. So Francis, realizing that, went to the head of WSM, uh, which was Bill Denny at the time, and uh, said, hey, you know, I, I noticed that uh, what's-her-name is going to be leaving here soon. Yeah. What, what do you think about me filling the, in the role? And they, he thought about it and saw how everyone liked her and how she kind of fit in and she was always around, actually around more than she should be. And so he called down to the mailroom guy who said, uh, hey, uh, 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 the reception is going to be leaving here soon, and I think uh, we'd like to have Francis come in and take over the job. And the guy in the mailroom was like, come on, Denny, I haven't got time for this. I've got a job to do. I mean, you can't be serious. Francis, she ain't worth a damn. (laughs) If you want her, you you can take her. And so she went up there. And she said, when she sat in that chair, her life began. Wow. She began, she was able to schmooze with people. Hey, uh, John, meet Sue, and and these guys, this, and she would just coordinate everything and then start, and she started um, making plans for award shows and parties, and, and she started coordinating everything, and she ended up being the ringmaster of that three-ring circus from the reception desk. I love it. And then, to make a long story short, the, 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 the president of BMI would be coming down there a lot. They were thinking about starting... From New York. From New York. Yeah, so there was no <clears throat> BMI in Nashville there, at this at point. At the time, there was no BMI in Nashville. Yeah. But, B, but Nashville was becoming the music center of the world at the time. And so, um, uh, he would come in and come into parties and, and, and functions, and he would see Frances doing her job. Just sit back and watch her. She was she was nice to look at, but she was also doing something. Yeah. And so one night, uh, after a big party, and he was still sitting there, and Frances had stayed to clean up. Mm-hmm. She was picking up the, the yeah. glasses and just and, and dusting off the tables and yeah. kind of cleaning up. She didn't have to do that. He said, "You never stop, do you?" And and Frances said later on, she thought he was about to hit on her. <laughs> But the proposition he had for her was a, a little more long-term. And he said, I'm about to start uh, the branch office in Nashville, and I'd like you to head it up. She was barely 30 years old, didn't know anything about anything. 
and she started BMI at her parents' dining room table. It's extraordinary. And that's where the adventure begins. I, I mean, just n- knowing what BMI is today in Nashville, you know, it's a bailment. And to yeah. think that this, yeah. this plucky woman, you know, doesn't even know how to type. That's right. <laughs> Which I love that. It's just it's phenomenal. It's such a phenomenal story. Well, and, and yes, and, and the people she gathers around her. See, her, she said. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things about Frances Preston is that she knew how to spot that something in others. Whether it was business or, or musical or, you know, creative, I think she had that knack for seeing people. She had a great, great radar yeah. to people. She could see. She had X-ray vision. She could see right through you. I mean, if she could see if you were real or if you were, right. you know, not. Yeah. And in this, in the, and especially in the music business, there was a lot of both. Of course. And in some cases, there were some people that were not quite real, but she found something in them and nurtured them. Mm-hmm. She was also a mother. But ironically, she never had any children of her own. Uh, she married E.J. Preston, who was very wealthy, very well-connected. He had three boys, and the moment she said, I do, she became a mother to three rambunctious little, little guys, and, uh, and, uh, and, but she became the mother of an entire industry. What's her maiden name? Williams. Oh, okay. I never knew that. Yeah. I've always known her as Frances Preston. Frances Lori. Williams. And then L-O-R-E. she married E.J. Preston. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and she began to schmooze and talk with everybody who's anybody. And what I've been doing the last little while is I've been di- dumpster diving, so to speak, <laughs> into her uh, family storage room and over at the Hall of Fame because she showed me something one afternoon that astounded me. This is after uh, she had... Uh, I. Had, I know I'm jumping ahead, but um, I was working with her, and she was kind of laying on her bed, going through some stuff. She goes, and she pointed to a closet. She goes, bring me uh, that big shoebox that's in there. So I went in there and brought it to her. She opened it up. She had a little twinkle in her eye, and she starts to open up, and I see what's in it. There's these little handwritten letters that are all scrolled up, and these beautiful little rubber bands. And she had, there are probably 25, 30 of them. And, uh, and so she unscrolls one and shows it to me. It had the royal seal of England on it. Mm-hmm. Francis Preston and Queen Elizabeth had a pen pal relationship for a number of years. So crazy. And nobody in her family knew it. So when I mentioned that to them, I go, where's the shoebox? They go, what shoebox? So are you on the hunt for it? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Gosh, I hope... I mean, where would it have... Exactly. I mean, it it was in her bedroom closet. um, Maybe one of the kids or grandkids took it. I hope it it didn't get tossed out by accident. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, That's what... um, That was my fear. We'll just... She showed it to me. Uh, It was a way of her saying, please don't let this go away, you know. And I I wasn't around to, to... to tell them about it, yeah. but I figured she told her whole family. Would you think? So, if if Francis had the correspondence from 
the queen mm-hmm. on her side, that means that the queen will have Francis's side. So you can always contact that's right them and say, hey, that's right. Hey, can we go through your, all your mail? <laughs> Well, no, but I, I, I'm sure everything I ever written is oh, yeah. archived sure, there. Yeah, yes, they, they chronicle everything. Yeah, sure. so in fact, that being said, it, it may be more... In, they'll, they'll have the version... They would have both sides. I would think so. Because yeah. their archivists would be far more um, detail-oriented, yeah, for I, lack of a better word. I would think. But, but from mm-hmm. what I gather, from just the bits and pieces I read, this was an intimate... This was like college, college oh, sure. uh, uh, roommate conversation. Yeah, to, 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 it'll still be a bitch yeah. on the on the pond side. And and that alone would be a, a book by itself. Sure. Uh, but it would definitely be a nice chapter. So, so tell uh, just a, pick a story. Just uh, you know, um, I mean, we could talk all day. Oh clearly, yes, we, yeah. but pick a pick a favorite Francis Preston story that involves someone. Now I know there's some great photographs of Francis with. Dylan, Francis with John Lennon, Francis with, you know, you name it, Francis with Willie. She she knew everyone, everyone loved her, and uh, she was highly regarded, highly respected. Well, she was also... And also slightly feared. Well, yeah, I mean... She, she's uh, tough, right? One of her, one of her close friends, uh, who, who said it with, uh, with uh, loving respect, called her the Velvet Hammer. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, I, I actually... Uh, uh, I'm fortunate that I never saw that side of her. <laughs> she was always very sweet with me. Yeah. But but I but I could sense that She's she a badass. she had to do yeah. something. You don't get to that level. No. Right? Yeah. You don't get there without having a little bit of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's somebody. She knew where the F was. <laughs> she knew where the F was. I like that. I like that. But she can't. But we can't find the letters. Anyway. The, the, England has them. I can guarantee you, if letters were written, England has them. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's so many stories I could tell you. Um, oh, boy. Um, just kind of ripping through them. Um, some, uh, some of them, we would, late at night, I would be out in the veranda uh, of, of, of the guest house after she handpicked me to write her book, which, was a story, which is a story. She'd be up in her uh, uh, second floor bedroom. That was a cool bedroom. The with yeah. the eaves. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Yeah. It's like it, something out of a it movie took up, set. Uh, took up all a third of the yeah top, top craziness. Floor. Yeah, and so she would could look out the bedroom the window. Gold plated bathroom. It's not really gold, uh, but it well, was like all not really. But I mean, it was yeah. all bronzy. Yeah, yeah. I, highly ornate. I, I asked her if Liberace had visited. Her. Yeah, it's it looks as yeah. <laughs> you know, but not to okay. You have I have the phone when they were cleaning up the house, getting yeah. ready to sell it. Uh, Donnie, one of the sons. Uh, he said, is there anything here you want? And there was this white push-button phone, like the old-school 70s mm-hmm. style. I said, tell me a story of that. And he said, oh, that's the bathroom phone. I was like, I want it. And so now yeah. it sits on my record collection. Really? Yeah. Well, actually, it, it, from what I remember, that phone hung on the wall right next to the toilet. I know. I love that so much <laughs> to think of her doing deals while she's yeah. on the toilet. Yeah, well, that's where the best stuff's done. Anyway. I love it. So, uh, um, so she would look out her bedroom window at late at night. It'd probably be like one or two in the morning on a summer night. The moon's out, and I'm on the veranda. I'm actually riding, and she would see me down there. And so she put on her, her um, house coat and her slippers. She'd come down that spiral staircase and, and, and come out the back door, and we would sit there and talk. 
and we would have some of the, the best conversations. Did you record everything? I recorded just about everything. Oh, that's good. Ninety-nine point nine percent of everything, and so she knew the recorder was on. Yeah. But but for some reason in that setting, she felt free enough to just tell me all kinds of stories. Yeah. She told me some really 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 dirty stories. Which I said, Francis, I can't write about that. And she goes, honey, they'll be dead soon. Yeah, Go she's ahead. got a point. Yeah, which is, which is pretty much I think true. you have to have a little salaciousness in there. <laughs> well, fun. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there's uh, one thing, what can I tell you? That's that. Oh my! It, it, it doesn't have to be salacious. Just any. I mean. Okay. She I, needs so I, many. Are, are we R rated or are we J? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you can you can okay. say whatever you want. Okay. Um, uh, this is America. This is America. Okay. Um, there was this one guy which I cannot mention his name, but he was a very famous songwriter. Oh he, man, he can't. <laughs> Uh, no, I can't mention his name. Okay. But um, he had this deep, deep crush on Francis. And uh, he would go around the country with a picture of her and set it up on a little fence or something and, and take a little perspective picture where he was in the picture, she was in the picture, and the Eiffel Tower would be oh, behind it. Oh, hilarious. He yeah. was way out of his time, pre-selfie. Yeah, yeah it was kind of pre-selfie. <laughs> Pre-flat Stanley. <laughs> and so wherever he'd go, you know, the Great Wall of China, and yeah, you know, he, he would just go, hey, here we are at the, you know, it, it was kind of funny. And she would get these, yeah. these things in the mail. Slightly funny, slightly serial killer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... This went on for a while, and uh, he was pulling some nice checks from BMI because he was some some of the songs he was writing were really kind of getting up there. But he had this really deep uh, affection for Francis. <laughs> Can't believe I'm telling you this story. So uh, he was in New York one time. That's where the main office was, and when she became president, that's where her office was in Manhattan. And so uh, he called her from the Waldorf. I said, it was around July 4th, and uh, he said, hey, Francis, I'm in town, uh, uh, I want to take you to dinner tonight, are, are you available? Uh, sure, okay, I'm up in the suite, so-and-so, uh, come on up after you're done, and we'll, we'll, we'll hit, hit the town, and we'll celebrate uh, the 4th of July, and she goes, okay. So she comes up and knocks on the door, and the door is kind of half open, and so she eases it open, she goes, hello. And he says, I, I'm, I'm back here, follow my voice. And so she kind of walks through the suite until she finally gets to a door that's kind of also just cracked up a little bit. I'm in here. So she pushes open, and there he is in the bedroom, standing on the bed, completely naked. Yeah. And I saw that coming. <laughs> and no he, pun intended. I know. And he had a, a little flag. Covering. Attached ah, to, uh, his, to, his, to his to to his, his uh, yeah. patriot yeah <laughs> to, yeah, to his patriot missile yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> and when she got to this point in the story I said Francis I have to stop and ask you this I said was it half mast or full mast oh my gosh hilarious and her response was hilarious she looked right at me and she said he'd been working on it for a while oh my gosh. <laughs> So you can cut that out if you no, want. No, that's a fun story. But uh, tell us one that of somebody where, you know, like a Lennon story or a Dylan story that, that, that our listeners can know. Okay, well, um, there was a fellow named 
Phineas Newborn Jr. He was a a black riverboat musician style, the old style, and he lived right in the Memphis area. <clears throat> and Francis was uh, had come down to Memphis to re-sign him. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, when she first started at, at, at BMI, one of her jobs was to go out and find new acts mm-hmm. or sign old acts. People that, that ASCAP would never have touched. By the way, I, I should mention, BMI uh, broadcast broadcast music incorporated. incorporated it's a it's what is called a performing rights organization for those of you listening that don't know there there are a few here in America uh, being CSAC BMI and ASCAP and uh, so that's the the US versions of the program and their jobs uh, they collect our royalties our songwriting royalties for terrestrial radio mm-hmm. and various performance things like that so just so Back in the day, um, ASCAP, I don't think, would represent African Americans. No, you correct? actually had to have five hits just to be uh, be considered to be uh, to join. Yeah, and BMI people, was far yeah. more... And how many people had five hits? Right, and, and BMI was founded by radio folk, is that right? That's why it was called yeah. Broadcast, if right. I remember correctly. So anyway, back to the story. So, so Francis has gone down to meet with this man. Right, so ASCAP was more of the elite... Uh, Broadway, uh, Broadway crowd. Yeah. And BMI was more of middle America, jazz, pop, um, yeah. soul, yeah. things that they were not going to touch mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason. So Frances used to go through the South, and I mean, she got everybody. She got... Um, and what uh, year is this? Um, right. This would this would have been late 60s. Okay. okay. Which I think in context is important to know Oh, yeah, as d- well. d- definitely. I could I could have left out the... the, the um, year and you would have got it anyway well, because uh, of what you're about to tell yeah me. exactly okay. so she so um, when she's on the road her usual office was a restaurant i'll meet you at, at this restaurant and we'll sign the contracts and have a nice meal yeah but but and fyi a blonde white lady 1960s early 1960s heading down into the delta right let's think about that for a minute right again she knows where they have i mean that's a badass Lady. Yes, yes, and and the only person she brought with her was another white girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so, but going into a restaurant not because she was in danger, but because of other people being. I'm I'm not saying because she's white and African Americans are going to hurt her. I'm saying because other white people would want to hurt her for doing that. That's exactly. what I'm, I'm the point I'm making. Thank you for leading up to this wonderful yeah. story. Cause okay, because you are doing a good job. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so, so uh, usually, you can tip me later. Okay, so she. Uh, usually would go to a restaurant, but the fact that Phineas was black, there's no way that they're going to have a white girl and a black uh, man in a restaurant. Uh, that, that so her usual off out of town office was off limits. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that she could think of was a hotel lobby, and the uh, Peabody Hotel had one of the best lobbies, amazing lobby, in downtown Memphis. So. She says, meet me at the Peabody and the lobby of the Peabody Motel. So Phineas meets him, meets her there, and he's very nervous. He can see that he's shaking. And she, at first, she thinks that he just wants to get this business over with quick. So she tries to talk with him, and kind of they, they kid around for a minute, and, and they sit down, and she spreads out the BMI contract on a coffee table in the, in the uh, large lobby. 
And she's going over the fine points with him. And just as she starts to get into it, a very loud voice yells the N-word. Ah! At Phineas. What are you doing in here? You know better than to be in here. And then he points to Francis and goes, this man knows he shouldn't be in here and you shouldn't be in here with him. I want you out of here right now. And he called him every name in the book. Francis looks up at this man like, what in the world? And he thinks, some kind of bottom feeder? Who is this? It happens to be a little white man. And she said, and his pink ears were, were flushing and steam was coming out of his ears. And he was shaking his finger at Phineas. And, and, he, and, and he had a little badge on that said manager. Yeah. And so Francis tried to intervene and said, we're sorry, we'll be out of here very quickly. We're going to sign a contract and we'll be gone. And the man looked at her and said, you shouldn't be in here sitting with that guy. He, he knows not to be in here. My guess is he didn't say that guy either. No, yeah. no. I'm trying to, I'm trying to clean it up. I know, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and, uh, and he shouldn't be in here and, and you shouldn't be in here with him. And by the way, are, are you staying at our hotel? Um, yes, yes, I am. She said, and she goes, I wanted to say more, but I tried to hold my, myself. And he said, well, we don't like your kind in here. I want you to pack your bags and get out of here. And he waved her off like a cowboy shoeing cattle. Hmm. So Phineas got up. Everybody everybody in the Frozen. lobby yeah. is just staring right at him. Yeah. And you could see that he, he was just shaking. Francis took his hand. And they started to walk out. And, they, and they were, there was a gauntlet of people between her and, and them in the door. And he, he had his eyes on the floor. It was like this man had completely... Oh, it breaks my heart. This man, it's like this man has ripped off all of, this, sure. uh, all of his clothes and he was standing there bare in this beautiful lobby. Yeah. And so she... And he kept looking at her with eyes, with questions that neither one of them could answer. Right. And so when they left, he had signed the contract, but she never saw him again. He went off one way, she went off the other. Now, when she got back to New York, uh, to, um, uh, where are we, Nashville. Oh, Nashville, okay. Okay, when she got back to Nashville, she called the mayor of Memphis. She called the governor <laughs> of Tennessee <laughs> and gave them what for yeah. and told them about the hospitality of the Peabody Hotel. Yeah. That man was fired. <gasps> wow. She Gone. Wow, that's power. Yes. And good for her for standing up for that yes. moment. But no one ever heard from him, uh, Phineas, again. He went overseas and played uh, played in Rome and in uh, uh, Madrid. He and, didn't die. He just got the heck out of Dodge. Yeah, but but then he came back. Uh-huh. And when he came back, he, he started walking into one too many Peabody hotels. Oh. And it just it just devastated him. He died at 57. Yeah. And the way I put it in the book is that it's a shame that a man with a name like Newborn died a little bit every day. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's so poetic and tragic. There are, yes. I, we've got tons of those kinds of stories. It's incredible. Do you, yeah. <laughs> I know you teased about what Francis said you should name the book, but there's no working title yet. So I'll have to have you back maybe um, when when it's done and 
you could read a chapter from it or something and talk about it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if people read chapters on podcasts, but we yeah. can start our own revolution <laughs> right here. Yeah, well, well, the good thing about these chapters, they're not like 30 pages long. Yeah. Some of them are very short vignettes. Mm-hmm. Like the, I just told you one of the chapters. Mm-hmm. I right love there. vignettes. They're very good on a salad. <laughs> <laughs> You're a funny girl. Um, but but um, the story of how I got, can I end this with the way I got the job? I would love that, yes. Okay. Not, I would not love that it ends. I just, I would appreciate that. <laughs> okay. You tell another story. Okay. Well, this happened, once again, this all happened about the same time that you were reading those salacious books on, in your living, in your living room. I'm going to keep reminding you of yeah, that. thanks for that. Forever. I, I seem to have completely eradicated it from my mind, so. <laughs> yeah, but I'll make sure that. But you remind it, every time we get together, you bring it up, so now, you know, now well, I'm forced to remember. Somewhere in the foreword of Francis' book, I will somehow... Find, find a way oh, to work it in. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I was once again. I was working with May Axton, and uh, one thing got to uh, one thing led to another, and uh, a girl in Dolly Parton's office, um, uh, Christine Winslow. Do you know who that is? I don't know. Maybe. Well, Christine Winslow knows David. Mm-hmm. So one thing led to another. And, David uh, being Francis's child. Yeah, David. One Francis. of the three boys. One of, one of the, and who is also at BMI. He's a, that's right. a muckety-muck over at BMI. A, I think that's his official title. Muckety-muck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I love David. Yeah. And so uh, I was trying to get some uh, stories from different people. And Christine had read something I've, I've written. And she was, a, she was enamored by it. She goes, oh, I've got three or four people. That, uh, if you want to talk to Dolly or you want to talk to this, I can help you do all that. So she was very, very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, after she read a few things, she's the one who told David. And then David uh, and I were supposed to meet. And so he said, um, uh, I want to take you over to, mom, to Mom's house and, um, and we'll spend maybe half an hour let you talk to her. And you had not yet met her? No. Okay. At this point, I knew what she had accomplished and how she had actually got the copyright law changed back in the 70s. That was one of the things that we really need to point out. If it wasn't for Francis Preston and Ted Kennedy and their, their cohorts, the copyright laws would not have been changed. But when they were changed, they made the writer king. Francis said that there's nothing begins without the song first. And she, her whole life, let me, let me emphasize this, her whole life was protecting and promoting the writer. Amen. And no matter what she did, if it did not help the writer, uh-uh, we're not doing it that way. Mm. It's, uh, Chris Ruskofferson said, she looked out after us. She was our guardian angel, and that's why we love her back. Yeah. Eddie Arnold said, we didn't have any money until Francis came along. She was an amazing woman. I'm sure what's happening now for songwriter rights is what's frustrating her there at the end, too. Yes, and, and, and we are going to talk about that. In the book. Yeah, we yeah. are going to talk about the way it was, the way she changed it, and the way it is. Yeah. But um, when, when it came right down to it... Um, so you were with May. I'm sorry. We, we sort of segued out into yeah. about 12 different directions there. So, so I was on my way over to see Frances. I knew what she had accomplished, but I did not know her. So when I went into the house for the first time, she's sitting in a rocker. She's been very regal. 
And uh, the first thing she said to me was, Honey, I don't remember anything. And I asked her one question, and she talked for two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I recorded it. And what I, I asked her was, How did you get started? And she just told me that opening story of her yeah. being in the backyard with her friends and her father coming out and saying, uh, I'm not going to give any money this summer. Get out and get a job. And, and it's, it's telling the story of how she made it and how she... Her father must have been so proud of her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. He, he, was, he thought it was a hoot that she was a, a male girl first. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay, fine. Uh, but she literally did start at the bottom, literally, and yeah. then made it all the way to the top. Um, and so she told me that story, and I went back and I wrote, um, I decided to write it in first person. People thought that was a, thought that was a little brave. Some thought that was, uh, you know, that you're channeling her thoughts. But I spent enough time with her. That's one of the things I do is I can, if I know how someone's thinking and I spend enough time with them, I can kind of mimic the way they think hmm. to some degree. So is the book in first person? The book is in first person. Oh, cool. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, after she read the first couple of chapters, she, she looked at me and she goes, Well, that's how Haley did Malcolm X. There you go. Which is a phenomenal book. Right. That's exactly right. And what Frances said to me after she read the first couple of chapters, she goes, you write the way I think. Lovely. And, I said, and from that moment on, we read Duet. I love it. So I wrote the first little story, and it was only eight pages. Mm. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's all. Mm -hmm. So she read the first eight pages. She loved it. A few other people read it, and they loved it. But there was a certain people that were at BMI that needed to read it, but they weren't getting around to it. So I would call David and say, hey, if, uh, David Preston. David Preston. And said, um, um, what have, you, have you heard anything? I said, I'm working on this, this, and this, but uh, what's going on with the Preston project? Well, uh, there, a few more people need to read this, but uh, we feel pretty good about it. I said, well... Is that because it has to be sort of, uh, checked off, I suppose, by the by the Jody Williams of the of the world and things like that? I, I, I think BMI I, must be represented and all. I, I think that they want, just want to make sure that BMI was going to be well represented yeah, by that. Makes sense. But even, even though Francis had signed off on it, they had they sure this is the definitely powers, yeah. this definitely has a, a lot of BMI in it. Yeah. Okay. So eventually, one thing led to another, and uh, three or four weeks went by. So finally, I get a hold of uh, David Preston again and said, um, anything, no? Uh, he goes, well, why don't you send it to me again? So in that, in that moment where I had a chance to say, okay, I went back and reread it, and so I changed a word here, fixed a period there, and I was a little ticked off. I go, it's only eight fucking pages. <laughs> so I go, surely they could read it. So what I did was, in, in my own little, for my own entertainment, when I made the change, I changed the file name to eight fucking pages. pages. Which and David would appreciate the humor in that, of I course. Know. And so, and then after, after I finished everything, I forgot that I had done that, and I sent it to David. Who? Who, who in turn sent it to the other people. He forwarded it without changing the yeah. title, yes. And so I, I hear back a couple of days later... Uh, they all read the eight fucking pages. That's brilliant. <laughs> and uh, you've got the job. That's wonderful. And so uh, then I went, I got the job. And then I realized, oh no, you got the job. Oh crap, I've got the job. It's a huge job. undertaking. I mean, to and, be and, true. And for, I, I've she got might it. as well be the Queen of England. I mean, for all the information. And, here, and here's what I'm going to say the last thing I'm going to say about this. 
Frances Preston knew everybody. She had access to any writer on this planet. Mm-hmm. And, and artist. Yes. And of all these people, she chose me. And I will be forever grateful. Beautiful. Bart Green. How can people do a website and such? Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, it's being re- revamped. Uh, revamped right this now. This will come out in a couple weeks, so will it be done by then? So, bartgreen.com or what? Uh, bartonlgreen.com. Bartonlgreen.com. And I'll have links on Hey Human Podcast, of course, as mm-hmm. I always do for every episode. So, oh, yeah. Bart, thank you so very much. This has been a, a true pleasure. I love hearing all the stories. I can't wait to read what is sure to be a bestseller. Yeah, right. And this is just volume one. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye.